Today we continue a series of discussions about the basics of Marxism, a method for understanding and changing the world used by many of the great organizers, activists, and revolutionaries in modern history. We'll continue last week's discussion on the Marxist understanding of the real estate or housing market, this week focusing on the skyrocketing cost of rent and the great hardships this imposes on workers throughout the United States. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Deepening unemployment, a looming wave of evictions, massive and widening inequality, there's no denying it. Capitalism is in crisis and capitalism is the crisis. We are excited to be joined once again by Professor Richard Wolff. He talks to us every Wednesday in this weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class and the crimes of big business. I'm your host, Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash The Socialist Program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to this show. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can check out his work at rdwolf.com. That's R-D-W-O-L-F-F.com. Professor Wolf, welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you for joining us. Last week, we took the news, the tragic news of the collapse of the Surfside Miami Beach condo that took so many lives and made so many people quickly homeless. And we talked about the phenomena of condos, the phenomena of real estate speculation, what it means for the country, what it means in particular for the state of Florida. We covered a lot of territory and we got really a large amount of feedback on that show. Of course, everybody cares about housing because everybody needs shelter, food, clothing, and shelter, the basics, not to mention healthcare and other elements necessary to sustain life in the modern era. I'm looking at Newsweek. Now, last week we talked again about condos and that's ownership, people who own their apartments. This week we're talking about rents. Here's from Newsweek, just out. The average monthly price of U.S. apartment rentals has soared back above pre-pandemic levels and nationwide rent costs have now surpassed $1,200 for the first time. The soaring post-COVID cost of rent, nearly 10% in the first half of 2021, as the country continues pulling out of the pandemic that has gripped the country and stagnated housing costs since the spring of 2020. Now, that's one story, Richard. That's Newsweek. Here's another story. And this is the front page of the Washington Post 
I've talked to a number of people here in the Washington area. It's a shocking story, but it's in the same vein. Here's the headline. Rent prices are soaring as Americans flock back to cities. 33% rent increases and bidding wars on rentals, not on buying a home, but bidding wars on rentals are the new norm in some parts of America as reopening comes with big price hikes. And here's the first paragraph. Lauren Campos opened the door to her Phoenix apartment last week to find a note stuck in the doorframe. Her rent was going up nearly $400 a month, the note said, a 33% increase. Campos and her fiance read the letter in shock. The property management company gave them four days to decide whether to commit to stay or to leave by the end of July. That's this month. They spent the rest of the day poring over apartment listings online only to realize that they would have either no place else to go or they would have to dramatically downsize from their two-bedroom apartment. Quote, it almost feels like there is nowhere to go. It is just insane everywhere, said Campos 28, a lifelong Phoenix resident. This is happening, Richard Wolf. This is happening to working families, to young people, to old people. We're just coming out of a pandemic. You would think, well, the government is going to do everything to make people whole again. But instead, the government actually is doing nothing while people are losing their homes because overnight, the rents are going up. In this case, in the case of Lauren Campos and her fiance, 33% increase, and they're given four days to choose pay up or move out. Yeah, well, this is a wonderful topic to explore what a Marxian critical perspective has to offer. To begin, we need to separate the housing, the rental housing into two parts. This is often necessary in analyzing capitalism that we distinguish between what people popularly call big business versus small and medium business. In this case, we're going to separate it between commercial multiple housing unit developers or landlords on the one hand and the mom and pop house where to make ends meet a working class or middle class, as we like to call them in this country, family helps pay the cost of the mortgage by renting out a basement apartment or an attic apartment or something else. Those are two really different kinds of events. Most of what I'm going to say is about the commercial rental situation, which has grown, by the way, dramatically, partly because people in America can no longer afford their own homes and have been required to vacate them, to leave them, forced out by the economics that can't afford it. And what has happened is a large number of these mostly single-family homes built over the last 40, 50 years have been snapped up by Wall Street investment companies and converted into rental properties. In other words, more money can be made because the people who have to sell are in desperate shape. They have to leave. Therefore, they're in no position to bargain. They drop the price. They've been doing that for some years now, especially since the so-called Great Recession of 2008. 
And these investment companies saw a tremendous opportunity, snap up these abandoned houses. People couldn't cover their mortgages anymore. Remember, we called the Great Recession of 2008 and 9 the so-called subprime mortgage crash. And that referred to the fact that what set it off was the inability of people to combine their wages with the cost of carrying their mortgages, and they simply couldn't make the monthly payments. Many of them went belly up. The banks took the houses back. The banks then didn't want to be a landlord, so they sold it off to these investors from Wall Street. And so you've had this cumulative transformation of the private single-family home into a rental property, where many, many houses like this are owned by a company, a group of investors, and they rent them out. And they make a good bit of money because of the tax advantages of the laws that are written for that, plus the fact, as you explained to us a few moments ago, that rents have been rising and are really taking off now. So let me get to the commercial rental, the apartment house that's built to rent, the garden apartments that are built to be rented out, and mad now all of these single-family homes originally designed to be owner-occupied but are now rental. In all of those cases, the key thing to understand is that the housing is produced and maintained because it is profitable to do so. This system, capitalism, holds housing, what you refer to as one of the basics of life, it holds houses hostage to profit. Houses will only be built in a capitalist system if the builder sees a profit in doing it. The builder is not in the business of providing housing. The builder of housing is in the business of making money. He'll build the houses, but if and only if it's profitable to do so. Okay, step two. What makes it profitable? Answer, because you can charge enough rent to cover not only the cost of building or the cost of maintaining the apartment, but the price, the rental that you charge, has to give you that profit. So you take whatever the costs are of building or maintaining, and you add to that a hefty amount because you want the rental to not only repay you for what you're spending to build or maintain, but you want it to earn a profit. And if you cannot raise the rent enough to give you whatever profit you demand, you don't build the house or you don't maintain the apartment. All right, step three, and then we're done. The only way housing will then work given that it's held hostage to profit, is if the mass of people are earning enough money to afford paying the rent that's high enough to deliver the profits to those who build and maintain them. That's what I mean when I say in capitalism, housing is held hostage to profits. But here's the horror of the United States' current capitalist system. 
it doesn't pay enough people enough money to pay the rents that will deliver the profits to the builders or owners of apartment houses. And so we have the catastrophe. What is the catastrophe? Huge numbers of people doing either homelessness, that is, they have no home at all, and they live in tents under the overpasses of Los Angeles or a hundred other American cities. That's one way this problem is expressed in our society. Here's the second one. People double and triple up. In many, many areas of this country, people are crowding together too many persons per square foot, because that's one other way of coping with the failure of incomes to be adequate to pay the rent that the profiteers who build and maintain homes demand. And here's the third one. A thousand studies exist that show that a reasonable cost for housing should be between 20 and 25% of your income. That's what the benchmark is around the world. The United States today is one of those countries, not the only one, but it is one of those countries in which millions of its residents are now paying much more than 20 to 25% for their rental. And that means, yeah, they have the housing, but they're being overcharged for it. And that means they can't spend money on clothing or food or medical care or education because they put a priority on their home. All three of these are unnecessary, unjust impositions of a dysfunctional economic system, our capitalism, because if there were ever a basis for judging an economic system, the answer is how well is it providing one of those basics which we call housing. And if you're homeless, and if you're doubling up and don't have enough square footage to lead a decent life with some privacy, or you're paying more than 20, 25% of your income in rent, then the system has failed. And by that standard, the American housing system is a failure on a scale very comparable to the failure we're still living through to prepare for or manage a virus. Richard Wolf, the issue of housing, and I want to come back to some of the modern statistics, meaning the statistics of right now about what's actually going on in the housing market. We want to come back and look at that. For instance, the price of rent has gone up 7.5% just this year on average. I'm looking at a Wall Street Journal article about that today, a larger article about inflation. This is about the inflation in the price of housing. But before I do that, and before we do that, I want to go back and reframe this again, because we're discussing Marxist concepts, and you're explaining the Marxist understanding of housing as it's developed or presented within the confines of the capitalist system, where the builders of houses, the builders of homes, the builders of buildings are doing so not for the particular use of those buildings for housing, they're doing it to make money. 
in a generalized way, they're making an investment to make more money, not to provide housing. Now, the issue of housing has been central in the discussions and in the polemics within Marxism, and it's been going on for a long time. And in 1872, Engels wrote a very famous work called The Housing Question. In that article, he's he's arguing against a reformist or a solution to the housing crisis, and there was a great housing crisis then as peasants filled in from the countryside into urban areas to work in factories and a great housing shortage, and it was a point of debate. And Proudhon and others were arguing the solution is each worker should have their own home. And yet Engels points out that doesn't actually solve the problem. And we could certainly see that in 2008 here where workers, quote, own their own homes, but 9 million faced foreclosure during the Great Recession and 3 million actually lost their homes. And Engels' central point was that the revolutionary class policy of the proletariat cannot be replaced by a policy of reforms because, quote, it is not that the solution of the housing question simultaneously solves the social question, but that only by the solution of the social question, that is, by the abolition of the capitalist mode of production, is the solution of the housing question made possible. Now, in State and Revolution, that Lenin wrote in 1917 and finished at the end of 1917, where he re-examines Marx and Engels' essential writings on the issue of the state, he refers to the housing question in a very important part of that pamphlet, where he makes the point that in order to really reorganize housing so that the poor and the homeless and the dispossessed have priority, there has to be a revolutionary government that enforces the social reorganization such that it can actually take place because privileged sectors of society are not going to willingly give up what they have and without some sort of encouragement or education or resolve such that the homeless and the poor who have nothing can have something. Anyway, let's go back and again for our audience, which is understanding our discussion in the context of Marxism, how and why this has played such a pivotal role in the debates among socialists. Well, because in a sense, it raises all the key issues. For example, the issue of democracy. Leaders in this country at this point try over and over again, literally every day, to refer to the United States today as a democracy. The Democratic Party asserts that the Republicans under Trump assaulted the democracy on January of this year by what they did in Washington. Yeah, the focus is on that attack on the Capitol, but the notion of our democracy and what it is and whether it's threatened these days carries this strange notion that by the normal definition of democracy, we are one. Housing makes it crystal clear that we are not. And that's why, in a sense, it raises the most basic questions, social questions, about our society. Let me briefly explain. Builders, and if you want to add construction companies, and if you want to add all of their employees, all together are a small minority of the population. People who need housing as you put it at the beginning of this program, 
are not only the overwhelming majority of our society, but they literally include everybody. Nobody wants to be forced to live outside all the time. They need shelter from the rain, the cold, and all the rest of it. So the majority needs housing. The minority engaged in providing housing is completely capable of producing the housing needed by the majority. But the minority won't build the housing unless they can get a profit. They don't care who has enough money. They don't care whether there's enough housing in this society. That's not their business in this system. They will only survive in this system if they earn a profit, which they will tell you. And so they're not going to be building or maintaining apartments unless it is profitable. So here's the bottom line. What a minority needs and wants, profits for the apartment industry, let's call it, is more important than what the majority needs and wants. That's not democracy. That's the opposite of democracy. That's not fundamentally different from a king in a royal palace somewhere living it up while the mass of his subjects eke out a meager living. That was considered to be an intolerable opposite of democracy. But our housing industry shows that. And that's why a little detail here, a few homes built over here in a quote-unquote project that is not profitable, subsidized by the government, and then let lapse with the knowledge that if you don't maintain it very well, it will become very undesirable to live there. People who can afford anything else will do so. And in that way, you keep the private housing stock profitable because you've made the public alternative unattractive enough so it can't really compete. The only way to have an adequate housing system, a satisfaction of what the majority wants, is for something to take over the housing industry that is not driven by profit. That means the government or cooperatives of working people who build and maintain without having to earn a profit, the housing stock. And that's what the private real estate industry in the United States does not want. They do not want the government to do that because it would be a competition they could not meet because they have to charge rents that generate profits where the collective effort of the people through the government, through worker co-ops, through a variety of alternative arrangements, they could do it without having to earn profit and that would allow them to have the rents low enough so that they could be afforded in a 20 to 25% share of income level that experts on housing everywhere agree is the only way to have an adequate housing system. So all of the issues, private versus public, 
hierarchical versus worker co-op. All these basic issues of how you organize a society come right to the fore if you're honest about the shortcomings of the capitalist system of housing people. Richard, I do want to go back to what is happening right now, because it's in some ways very perplexing, very revealing, and at the same time demonstrates the sort of core irrationality or certainly the unplannedness of what we're experiencing, what working families are experiencing in the United States. Again, a 7.5% increase in rents in the last six months as the country is starting to you know, come out of lockdown after COVID pandemic or after enough vaccinations so that it can start to open up. But there's some discrepancies here that I want to ask you about. Here it is. Differences in typical rent price in May 2021 versus February 2020. In Stockton, California, rates for rentals have gone up $268 a month. In Boise, Idaho, $236. Ventura, California, $229. Phoenix, $195. Stamford, Connecticut, $180. Then you get to cities like Boston, San Jose, New York, San Francisco. The rents have actually decreased. In the case of Boston, $132 decrease per month. New York down 255, San Francisco 290. The country is so big. I mean, America is so big that what you're experiencing in Phoenix or Boise, Idaho, compared to New York or Boston or San Francisco, it's kind of like almost being on different planets. And and unless we're there, and of course we're not because we're somewhere else, we don't really get a sense of what's going on. Here's again from that Washington Post article. Jason Giroux, owner of 410 Real Estate in Phoenix, said he has managed rentals for nearly 15 years and never seen anything like this. His rental listings are often getting more than a dozen applications. People call him and offer to pay more than the asking price for the rental, effectively creating bidding wars on rental properties. On two recent listings, so many people offered to pay more money than he had. He had all the applicants write down their best offer. Potential renters are saying, quote, hey, what if I offer $500 more a month? It's just crazy stuff, Giraud said. Now, I want to just talk about this in terms of the unevenness that we're experiencing in the country where cities like New York, where rentals, you know, it used to be New York was at one time an affordable city. Now it's largely unaffordable, but rents went down. But in cities that are not on the coast, not the big cities of the East or the West Coast, you have this kind of bidding war, which frankly, I've never heard of in my entire life, where rental applicants are bidding against each other. I've heard about that in home ownership purchases when the market is tight, when people are trying to buy homes you know, with 30-year mortgages and it's their equity. But you have no equity when you're renting, but you're in a bidding war in cities like Phoenix. I think you're seeing a number of forces at work here, and let's go through them quickly. One, you obviously have the COVID story. The big cities are where people are highly concentrated. The population is very dense. 
the anxiety about the disease, led all kinds of people who were wondering about the costs of living in New York or San Francisco anyway, to think, well, with the costs being what they are, plus the disease, let me see if I can work from home or in other words, make an adjustment by moving to Boise, Idaho or some other small or medium-sized city. So you have the departure from New York City, which I live here, so I see that around me, and you have the arrival. And because our economy isn't planned, because the government refuses to play the kind of role that rationality would have it, there was nothing done, nothing. Let me underscore, nothing done from the time COVID hit in March of 2020 to this moment, nothing done in the way of a comprehensive program to handle what was fully expected and became crystal clear as the months passed, namely an exodus of significant numbers from the Bostons and New Yorks and Philadelphias and LAs and so on. That could have been handled a hundred different ways. It wasn't. It was, to use the language, left to the market. And that's the second point. Let's look at that. Left to the market. So for the last year and a half, because of the illness and because of the economic crash, it was not profitable to build the way it had been. That was mostly the issue because you could have gotten people together to build homes because in parts of the country where the profits were high, they did in fact get people together with masks and social distancing to build homes. That could have been done in a rational way on the national level and then we wouldn't have had the disconnect between now trying to recover from the crisis the economic crisis and COVID, we're discovering, gee, there's not enough housing here, there, or the next place. That's also part of the way this system functions badly. And then we have what I believe is the most important issue here. Look at the prices and the wages. If you're correct that we've already had 7.5% average increase in rental in this society, granted with the variations from area to area. I can tell you that a tiny minority of workers in this country have enjoyed anything like 7.5% over the last six months. So what we're seeing is large numbers of people at the lower end of our economic distribution of wealth being priced out of the apartments they once had and leaving. So there's a new exodus from the city, which is the people who can't do it anymore. And if more of them leave, then there are apartments that become available. You're going to get, again, anomalous price movements for a while until this works out. And as the rentals adjust, if the rents come down because of an exodus in places like New York, sure, then those who can most afford it and who have wanted to come to New York will discover, for example, an opportunity, and in they will come, and that is happening. And remember, when people move, they're not so stupid as to only be interested in what the rent is now. They have to on pain of being very badly impacted, have to worry about where the rents are going. And in a time of general inflation, 
which we're already in with no clear prospect that we're going to get out of it any time soon. And that's another problem of U.S. capitalism. But with an inflation in place, one of the things that is pushed up by an inflation is the price of housing. And so you're going to see that whatever the rent is you pay now, the reasonable assumption is that that rent is going to go up. And then you're going to have to ask yourself, are you going to be one of those people who is held hostage by the profit system and being forced thereby either to become homeless or to double up with other people? or to pay more of your income as a share for your housing than you ought to be in any kind of logical society. Last footnote, most major cities around the world have much larger shares of housing owned and operated by the government so that they can escape the trap of being held hostage to profit than we do in the United States. And that's not unconnected to the problem of our housing system and its failure to provide one of those basics that people deserve. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Brian Becker.